pastors here, Wawasee Bible, and we're in a series called Life in the Age of Outrage. Maybe there are even some things on that video as it played that got your blood boiling a little bit already. Um, but before we dive in and talk about some of these things again this morning and over these next five weeks, um, first off, welcome. Really glad that you're here. Glad you're joining us online if you're with us at home. And, uh, you know, this morning, uh, just a reminder to be praying because uh, obviously during this service, uh, you would have gotten an email uh, hopefully this week letting you know that uh, our kids ministry, we don't have kids ministry for this service due to a lack of workers. Uh, many who have been uh, in contact with people who've been sick or potentially are sick or waiting for test results, things like that. And so we didn't have enough to staff a full kids ministry for two full services. So we just had it in the first one. But I also just want to say before uh, it stirs up maybe too much fear that there are things going on or things going around, which we want to be careful and cautious. Another big reason for that, though, is we just flat out need more people serving in our kids' ministry. And so if we had more people serving, we would have had more to kind of fill in the gaps. So if, if you're here, uh, Wawasee's home, and you're not connected, we'd love for you to get connected and serve, and kids' ministry is one of those areas. Again, our pathway, we want everybody who calls this place home to do three things. We want you to gather on Sundays, we want you to show up, we want you to, to grow, to grow up and get connected into a life group. And then uh, third, we want you to go. Gather, grow, go. We want you to go serve somewhere. And uh, ultimately, this won't feel like home until you're serving somewhere. So I'd love for you to get connected. Not a guilt trip, just a reality. Just wanted to throw it out there. Hey, if you're not serving, we'd love to find a place for you. And uh, Steph is with us here this morning, and she can help you with kids ministry. And uh, Steph, you do a great job leading that. We're really grateful for you. So thank you. Yeah, navigating a lot right now, so thanks. Um, hey, I wonder what disgusts you? What do you get disgusted by? I did a little research online and uh, I got on Google and, and looked up what are some of the most disgusting delicacies in the world? The most disgusting foods in the world. I'm gonna show you a few. I'm not gonna show you all of them because you'd turn around and leave. And, uh, but here's one. Uh, do you recognize this fruit? This is called the Dorian fruit. The Dorian fruit uh, has the unique distinction. It's, it's called the king of the fruits, but it has the unique distinction of being the most pungent, rancid smelling fruit in the world. It's native to Indonesia, Thailand, that area of the world. And in fact, in some places, in some locales there, it's actually illegal to cut into one of these things in public because the odor just hangs in the air and it just hangs around everything. Yet it's a delicacy by some standards. I wonder though, did you ever wonder about some of this stuff? Like who's the first guy to pull one of these down off a tree, cut it open. I don't know if they grow on trees or not, I guess. Pull it down, cut it open and take a whiff and go, hmm, I wonder what it tastes like. <laughs> Who does that? I mean, that's, to me, that just sounds disgusting. It looks kind of cool, but I couldn't do it if it smelled like they're saying it smells. Here's, here was it, rotten onions, turpentine, and raw sewage are the descriptors of that fruit. How about not the fruit, but a fruit bat, a fried fruit bat? You ever had fried fruit bat? So this, again, uh, mainly in the Pacific Rim and in parts of Asia, uh, they, they can prepare them in a lot of different ways, but one of them is to deep fry them. And uh, this bat is a delicacy. And it's called a fruit bat because it eats fruit. So it's said to be a very clean animal to eat because all it eats is fruit. 
And in case you wondered uh, what it tastes like, uh, the Oxford Companion to Food says that its flavor is similar to that of chicken. So, you know, like it tastes like chicken. It tastes like chicken. But evidently when you cook it, it just puts off a rancid odor. All right, I'll move past you. Don't just stare at that crazy bat anymore. How about this one? This little guy, this might make you feel warm and fuzzy. This is a palm civet. I don't know if I'm saying his name right or not, but it's kind of a rodent in uh, Indonesia, I believe, or somewhere over in that part of the world. And uh, there's a delicacy that people enjoy thanks to this animal, but it's not what you think. It's actually called civet coffee. Oh yeah, you've heard of this, huh? Junior high high boys over here, oh yeah, that's gross, I love it. Civet coffee is coffee beans that this thing has ingested and then passed out the other end and then they roast them. You can buy it for about, a, about $30 an ounce right now on Amazon. Sometimes it's called, I'm gonna botch this too, Kopi Luwak. Anybody know, is that how you say it? Kopi Luwak. Well, all I know is if I walk into the coffee shop and flavor of the day on the chalkboard is Kopi Luwak, I'm gonna turn around and go the other way. I don't, I don't care for that. And then the most disgusting food of all, let me show you, cilantro. <laughs> cilantro. I'm sorry, cilantro, it tastes like laundry detergent. The next time, next time you have cilantro, grab a jug of laundry detergent, smell them both, and then eat the cilantro. You're gonna think you're, you might as well drink the laundry detergent. Yeah, that's, that's, that's just my opinion. But evidently, there's a genetic thing where like 12% of the, of the world's population has some genetic, so I've got a genetic disorder, evidently, where I taste cilantro to be a soapy flavor. Well, there's all kinds of stuff we could talk about that are disgusting, all kinds of cheeses that smell, you name it, right? But um, I wonder, what about people? How about what disgusts you maybe with certain people? When you think about that, is there anyone that comes to mind? One person, one group of people that you just, you find yourself disgusted by? Why is it that they bother you so much? Why do you just have such a visceral reaction within you about that person or about that group of people? You ever considered that? Well, in your disgust, and maybe you're feeling that kind of well up within you right now, I wanna ask you a question, play off a question that Pastor Dave asked us a couple weeks ago, and that's this. Is your disgust in them is it drawing you closer to God and, and closer to other people? Or is that disgust drawing you away from God and away from those people? Chances are that if it's someone or some group that you're disgusted with, it actually doesn't draw you closer to them, it draws you away from them. Would that be true? I mean, I think the reason for that is it's next to impossible to hold disgust or disdain towards someone and at the same time truly love them the way that we're called to love them. Well, we're in a series called Life in the Age of Outrage and outrage and disgust are often intertwined vices that tend to fuel one another. 
I get outraged about something and so then I get disgusted with certain people. I'm disgusted with certain people and so that fuels more outrage and it's this cycle that just continues. But what does God call us to as followers of Jesus? What does he say we ought to be about? Well, today's message is titled Disgust Destroys, and we're going to explore that because uh, first off, disgust in someone, disdain holding that against someone, it halts all engagement with them. Disgust, it just, it does, it halts all engagement. Now, some of you, you're going to go out to lunch after we wrap up today, and you might sit down somewhere and uh, you have your mask on and you'll take it off. You'll sit down and then somebody will bring out some food. And I'm guessing if they brought you a Dorian fruit or a fried fruit bat, you're going to push back from the table and go, okay, I think I'm going to go on to the next place. I'm done for the day. Why? Because chances are you'll probably be disgusted with it and you're going to halt any engagement with that thing. You're walking down the road when you get home and you step in a steaming pile from Fido and you get it all over your shoe. What are you gonna do? You're gonna put your foot back in it and engage some more? Some of you are disgusted. I can see it on your face right now. Illustration's working. No, you're not. You're gonna wipe it off and smear it off on the step in the grass as fast as you can. You wanna halt engagement with that. You don't want anything to do with that, do you? It causes disengagement, am I right? Now, how about with people? I think it's very similar. That when we hold disgust towards someone, uh, it's really hard to engage with them and love them at the same time, if not next to impossible. For instance, what about who are the people you tend to discuss? Is it someone who's different than you theologically? Maybe different uh, than you ethnic, eth, ethnically. Somebody who can talk better than the pastor on stage. Maybe it's uh, those who are different than you politically. How would your disgust rate if your guy doesn't win Tuesday? Uh, what about those who are different than you in your view of COVID? What about those who've committed a crime that you find absolutely disgusting? And that is very possibly disgusting. I mean, I think of that with a five, almost five-year-old boy and joked in the first service, man, if somebody did something to him, I'd be doing prison ministry from the inside, right? But, but what about that? How do you love someone that you hold disgust for? How about uh, someone who's different than you in their gender, in their sexuality, in their views of morality? It becomes almost impossible to really love someone that I'm holding disgust toward. And I think the reason for that is that when, when we're disgusted with someone, we tend to minimize our own sin. It distorts our view of sin, specifically our own. Because ultimately what it does is it betrays the fact that I think their sin is worse than my own. I'm disgusted with them because they did that and I didn't and I'm not gonna be around that. Or sometimes it's simply a matter of opinion that's not even sin. And they think that and they act, and I'm disgusted with that, and then who's the one who's sinning? I am, because I'm holding something against them that's not even sin to begin with. 
And when I hold disgust towards someone, it keeps me from loving them because it distorts my view of sin. It makes, it, it makes my sin small and their sin big. When in fact, it may be in exactly the opposite. We've mentioned uh, this series is uh, based in part on a book called Christians in the Age of Outrage by Dr. Ed Stetzer. I'd commend that book to you. And he unpacks some of these things in great detail there and encourage you to pick that up. Um, it, it's a good read. I think you'll enjoy it and it'll challenge you. But disgust keeps us from loving people. It distorts our view of sin. And if we're, here's kind of give away the house today before we get there. Here's the deal. Here's how you love someone who maybe you're disgusted with. It starts with recognizing your own sinfulness, not minimizing your own sin, not forgetting that you, left in your sin, deserve eternal punishment under God's wrath for sin in hell. I deserve that. And if 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 I'm gonna really love someone, I have to be aware of the fact that I'm a sinner saved by grace, not because of any goodness in Josh, but because of all the goodness in Jesus. And that's what enables me then to love someone, especially those with whom I disagree. Don't forget you're sinful. Because when you, when you do, when you forget that and you hold disgust, you betray that fact and you minimize your sin and you elevate theirs when maybe that shouldn't be the way it should be at all. And in fact, uh, John says, if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So if we're thinking this way, if we're holding on to that, yeah, but Josh, you don't know what they did. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know the whole story. You're right, I don't. And what they did might be awful. I have no idea. But you holding on to that does no good for you. And it keeps you from living the way God calls you to live, which is in love toward them. Not ignoring maybe what's happened, but still loving them, right? And if we say I haven't, if I say I have no sin, I'm deceiving myself thinking that holding on to that thing somehow is either hurting them or making me better. And no, the truth's not in me. That's not true. Here's what's true, that if we would confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins. And not only that, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I have to ask, like like the person maybe that comes to mind that you're holding disgust towards. I know this is hard because some of you, you've been hurting in big ways by people. Or, or maybe it's just someone that for whatever reason you've had a grudge against for a long time. Tell me, back to verse nine for a second, doesn't that apply to them just as much as it does to you? What if they would confess their sins? What if they would turn? Could they be forgiven and cleansed? Yeah, they could. And it, to forgive and to let go is the most, it, it's incredibly painful but it's freeing. And you can't really love someone when you're holding that disgust over them and towards them. Listen, I know that's easy to get up here and say. It's incredibly hard to live out. Incredibly hard. But by God's grace, we can. And then John reminds us right away again, if we say we haven't sinned, we make Jesus to be a liar and his word's not in us. 
Friends, uh, disgust halts engagement and, and it does it because it keeps us from loving and we minimize our own sin. We can't do that. See, when we remember that we're sinful too, this is what enables us to, as Paul tells the church in Ephesus, to speak the truth in love and to do so with empathy. Empathy is simply a, a feeling the same thing that person feels. Putting yourself in their shoes, so to speak. And humility and empathy are the things that help us then to, to love people we might be disgusted with. I mean, this is how Jesus spoke truth. He, he was always full of empathy. John chapter eight, are you familiar with this story? There's a woman who's caught in adultery and she's chased out into the street. So evidently caught in the act and everybody's there. And according to the law, they had every right to, to stone her on the spot. And they have stones in their hands ready to kill her. And then Jesus walks up. Do you remember what he says? Well, he actually does something first. He leans down, he writes something in the sand. We're not told what he writes. And then he says this, as they continued to ask him, he you know, asked him, doesn't she deserve to die? Well, he stood up, he said to them, okay, well, how about this? Let him who's without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Why does he do this? T to remind them of their own brokenness so that they would truly love God and their neighbor. Those are the two great commands. Love God and love your neighbor. If you do that, you fulfill it all. And Jesus came with this kind of empathy and grace. And, and again, listen, I know this is so hard in some circumstances, but we're called to it. Not forgetting, but forgiving. In fact, Jesus doesn't forget what she's done. What does he say to her right after this? He says, um, you're forgiven. Now go, don't do it again. Don't sin anymore. He doesn't ignore it, but he does forgive it. And, and Jesus came full of grace and truth and humility and empathy. Humility is simply knowing your place, right? Pride is when I think of myself higher than I ought to or lower than I ought to. Both of those are pride. And, and, and pride says that um, uh, either I'm, I'm in the place of God or I'm lower than God has made me. And humility just simply acknowledges the fact that, you know what? I'm sinful, God loves me, he's forgiven me, and I know my place. I know I'm not better than anyone else, I'm not worse than anyone else, but I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ. And so when I approach people with that humility, then I can have that type of empathy. Uh, the writer of Hebrews tells us this about Jesus, that we have a high priest, uh, we don't have a high priest, excuse me, who's unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. But we have one in Jesus who in every respect has been tempted like we are, except he never sinned. Jesus knows what it's like, trust me. He knows a lot better than any of us what it's like uh, to let go of feelings of disgust or potential bitterness or anything like that and to sacrifice in order to forgive. He knows it way better than I've ever experienced or ever will know. And that's his love and his humility and his empathy toward us. See, the word became flesh, John said. He dwelled among us and we've seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full, full of grace and truth. So friends, uh, let me just encourage you, don't minimize your sin. Put away that disgust. 
Do what you need to do to, to attempt to do that. Pray to the Lord, ask for his help in that. Because disgust halts all engagement with a world that longs to be loved, with a world longing to be loved. Any of you Beatles fans? Anybody a Beatles fan? All right, right down here, awesome. You probably saw the Beatles in person, didn't you? Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> the, the, the Beatles, the song, uh, All We Need Is Love, right? Oh, you're singing it, some of you are already. All we need is love. Dun, da, 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 right? All we need is love, love. Love is all we need. Why is that such a popular song? Well, it, it really, ultimately, it kind of taps into something that's true about every person. That we, we do, we need love. We were born craving and desiring love. In fact, uh, Augustine in his confessions, it's his autobiographical work, he, he said this, he, he says, what is it, what was it that delighted me? Speaking of his sin. Well, the only thing that, that I found delight in was doing whatever I could to, to love and be loved. To love and to be loved. And it's a, it's a core need of every human being. But why is that? Why do we all, I mean, how many of you are like, yeah, I don't want to be loved. Nobody would say that. We all want to be loved. Why? Let me tell you, it's because we all bear God's image. We're all image bearers. And to be an image bearer, when, when God created Adam and Eve and when he created all of us, he created us unlike anything else in creation. He made us in his image, bearing his image. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, male and female, we bear his image, which simply means that we reflect God. Our life is like a mirror and, and work to reflect him. Now, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, it's like they took a rock to that mirror and now it's a little distorted. But ultimately, Jesus is working in us to piece that mirror back together to rightly reflect him again. And we bear his image. We bear, that's God's signature on his creation. You know, the artist signs his painting. God signs his creation with humanity, the crown jewel of everything he made. And we're made to be like him. There's a certain respect in which we're like God and nothing else that was created is like him because we bear his image. Well, that demands that we have to think theologically here for a little bit. You with me? So let's think a little bit theologically. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit is Trinity. He's triune. In fact, maybe it's just helpful for us to look at our statement of faith and kind of how we articulate this. We believe in one God. It's one God, creator of all things, holy. He's infinitely perfect, eternally existing. He's eternally existing in loving unity of three equally divine persons. Now, this is where uh, some can get tripped up and think, okay, one God, three persons, how does that work? I don't entirely know. You okay with that? But <laughs> I don't entirely get it. But the Bible teaches it to be true. And uh, followers of Jesus, you've experienced it to be true. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And they exist in, in uh, perfect loving relationship with one another, in loving unity the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let me just highlight that piece. They're eternally existing in loving unity. Eternally loving unity. What's that mean? Well, the Father, the Son, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, all of them are equally God. And all of them have existed for eternity. Like Jesus didn't just show up in the manger. Jesus didn't, uh, the Holy Spirit just didn't show up for the first time at Pentecost. They are equally 
divine, equal persons of the Godhead and they've existed forever and will forever. And they've been in relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in loving relationship forever. It's, it's their nature. And so the reason I bring that up and want you to think that way is because if you're an image bearer, if you're like God, you know what that means? There's a part of you that longs to experience that same love, that eternal, perfect love that's always giving, always receiving perfectly. And so, so as an image bearer, you long to be loved, even if you can't express it. You do, and I do. It's part of imaging God, both that we desire to be loved and to love. And John tells us that God is love. No wonder we desire that. And Jesus in John 17 uh, talks about the glory that he had before the world existed. And in verse 24 of chapter 17, he's even praying and he says to the father that they might know the love with which you loved me before the foundation of the world. Eternal relationship. And if you ever felt that emptiness, that loneliness, it's because you're an image bearer. It's because you're an image bearer. And God created you to have that need, that deep-seated need fulfilled in the ways that he designed for it to be fulfilled. In relationship with other believers, in relationship with Jesus. See, we long to be loved and to love. And so does every other living person on this planet. But if we hold disgust against them, it halts our engagement with them so that how are they ever gonna experience true, deep, abiding love from their creator? If we fail to engage, like salt that stays in the shaker, never gets on the french fries. Maybe we should just look for a moment here in 1 Corinthians 13 at the description of love. Paul says, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but I haven't love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, if I would try to engage, holding on to my disgust, not loving, what am I gonna sound like to people I engage with? Yeah, if somebody was back there on the drums just pounding away right now, that's what it would be like. Or he goes on, he says, if, if I have prophetic powers, if I understand all mysteries, all knowledge, if, if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but I don't have love, then I'm, I'm nothing. If I give away everything I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Now you may have heard that in a wedding, but really he's describing something way beyond that, just Christian love how we're called to love one another. And then he gets into the description in verse four, love is patient and kind. In the age of outrage, I don't see a lot of patience and kindness. Josh, somebody's gotta speak the truth and stand up for the truth. Well, do you have to do it so loud that nobody knows that you love them or that Jesus loves them? You can do it loud, but you can do it with love, right? It's patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy or boast, it's not arrogant or rude, it doesn't insist on its own way, it's not irritable or resentful. This is a good check when you're going, yeah, I'm just, I'm speaking the truth. Okay, is it with these attributes? It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. Friends, when those that maybe you discussed rather than rejoicing in their downfall, does it, does it cause uh, rejoicing in your heart or does it break your heart? 
It's another good test. Love bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. Love never fails, he says in verse eight. Friends, that's the love with which we're called to love people and the love with which God loves us. And by the way, one of our core values, we have five core values, right? It's all about Jesus. God wrote it all down. Number three is all people matter. Everyone matters. Every person on this earth uh, matters to God and therefore they must matter to us. No matter their age, no matter their gender, no matter their intellect, no matter their sin, no matter what they've done or what's been done to them, there is no one we would not love and invite to follow Jesus with us. Now that's, a, that's a pretty lofty statement, isn't it? It's a rah-rah statement. That is so hard to do. It is so hard to do. But by God's spirit, we can. And in fact, um, that's how God loved us. He so loved the world, John three sixteen says, that he gave his only son, Jesus went to seek and to save the lost. So here's the sum of it all, friends. Disgust halts all of our engagement with a world that's longing to be loved like we are loved. See, again, it comes back to this idea of both recognizing, not minimizing my own sin, but recognizing my sin, but also then remembering as I recognize my sin, I recognize how great God's love and grace is towards me. And I long for other people to experience and to know that. And I can't help but love them with the same love. Because you are loved. You are. You ever considered how much you're loved? Well, listen, as your sin, we talked about not minimizing your sin. Your sin is, is, is greater and uh, more disgusting, to come back to that term, than you could have ever dared fear but you are loved with a love through Jesus Christ that is greater than you ever dared hope. So we've got it blazed on the front of our building (laughs) because you are loved and people need to know they're loved by Jesus Christ and hopefully by God's grace, they would experience love from his people because we're sent to love. We're sent to love people, invite them to follow Jesus with us. But think about the degree to which you are loved. Romans 5, 8. Paul tells the church in Rome, uh, even while you were still a sinner, like God didn't say, hey, clean up your life, then come to me and then I'll love you. No, even while you were his enemy, some translations will say rightly, God loved you. He gave Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you and for me. That I deserve his wrath, but I'm given his grace. And the only way I can love is because of the fact that he first loved me. So question of the week and of the day, will you you love like God loves you? Now the reality is none of us probably will because it's so hard. But will you endeavor to? To remember the way that you've been loved so that others who are longing to be loved would experience that? Even if you came into the morning just disgusted with that person. There's gonna be plenty of things that potentially you can be disgusted about in the days and weeks ahead. Will you keep your eyes on Jesus? 
As we close, I, I just close with this illustration because I think it's so powerful. I'll show you a picture of this guy. His name is Botham Jean. Uh, Botham uh, lived in Dallas, Texas. And on September 6th of 2018, he was sitting in his, in his apartment when uh, uh, and a woman was coming home from work, a police officer in Dallas. Her name was Amber Geiger. And she got home, it was late. She walked in uh, thinking it was her own apartment, found him inside. And you can imagine he's a little riled up because this is his house, not hers. And she had had the wrong apartment. She comes in and she ends up shooting him twice and he died. Amber was later over the course of the next year convicted of murder. There was incredible outrage uh, throughout our nation and in Dallas and especially among uh, those in the African-American community who've, who've experienced injustice in ways that as a white guy, I don't understand and haven't experienced. And it should cause outrage among us, racial injustice and any, any injustice of any kind. But Amber was convicted of murder. And uh, at her sentencing in October of last year, on uh, October... Uh, I'm not exactly sure, early October, October 2nd, I think of 2019, uh, the, the family and loved ones of Botham, I said Botham, it's Botham, uh, had the opportunity to give impact statements to the court as it related to uh, Amber's sentencing. And uh, Botham's brother, Brant, took the stand. And if you can imagine uh, the opportunity to feel disgust towards someone, put yourself in his shoes. How would you feel? What would you be thinking? What would you say? I wonder if it'd be this. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's, what, that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not gonna say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and he knows God, she knows God. 
Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to take, the, to take God's wrath in our place. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Amen? Let me pray.